In this town, there is no off-season. The news never stops, and neither do we. It's always game day in Cleveland with Andy Baskin and Daryl Leiter. It's always game day in Cleveland, brought to you locally by Smiley One, heating, cooling, and plumbing. Bryant and Smiley One, the right choice for your comfort. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. Daryl, like uh, most around Northeast Ohio, a little bit under the weather like we all are right now. I think we've all had something along the way over the last two, three weeks here, and we just keep our fingers crossed that it's not COVID because that will knock you out. So, uh, Daryl, let's start off with the Pro Bowl announcement that was made uh, when this airs on Thursday morning last night. So your thoughts on our three Pro Bowlers and the alternates. Uh, yeah, no surprises, and uh, at least from my perspective, no snubs. Um, we always seem to talk about those every year when it comes to the Pro Bowlers, uh, you know, guys getting snubbed. But Miles Garrett, uh, Joe Batonio, Nick Chubb, uh, named to the team, your alternates, Amari Cooper, Jack Conklin, Denzel Ward, Wyatt Teller, and David Njoku. And uh, I kind of agree with all those. So, uh, I don't really have any hot takes for you as far as Browns that got uh, snubbed. Um, you know, seeing as they are six and eight and where they're at, it, it's kind of hard to argue. Um, and, and uh, you know, um, uh, I think Amari Cooper, uh, who's uh, approaching the thousand yard mark for the sixth time in his career, um, uh, certainly uh, deserving of uh, consideration, but you know, he was named an alternate. So yeah, I mean, it, it's really hard for me to have like a hot take about guys getting snubbed or whether or not the Browns were or are represented enough uh, in, in the uh, pro bowl games or whatever the hell they're calling this uh, now, because it's no longer a game, right? They got rid of right. the game. It's a flag so, football game, isn't it? Yeah, they're doing flag football and they're doing a bunch of skills competitions and stuff like that. So um, I think part of that for safety, part of that to encourage participation uh, and part of it so that they can still make money. Because we know the TV ratings have been pretty good the last couple of years, no matter what. I mean, even if you get 4,000 people that are watching probably one of the worst football games in the history of the game when they were playing, whether uh, what were they, they were in – they were in Hawaii for a long time. I can't even remember where they were they playing. Where they played it? Uh, where they play last year? I don't well, well they they played in. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, Hawaii was the big carrot. Yeah. Right? Well, that uh, that stadium's kind of like falling on hard times. So yeah, I believe the University of Hawaii is building a new stadium, but it's not nearly as big or as extravagant. I think they've just kind of uh, come to terms with the Pro Bowl. Well, won't be back uh on the islands again like that was the only reason for players to go was, was the, to go to hawaii for a week yeah, yeah I get it. it was the vacation to hawaii um orlando uh orlando, that was hosted that in that stadium i mean it it's a nice stadium but it's not I've been there before yeah it's not an nfl stadium no no you know i was there for an outback bowl a couple years ago when minnesota played and it was just like yeah whatever yeah so it's not a, a fancy NFL stadium, so yeah, uh, you know, it'll be in Vegas this uh, next month uh, at the end of January. So nothing crazy will happen in Vegas. We won't have any sidebar stories that week. Again, thank you for your silence. Actually, they might actually get people to show up for this one, because especially with online gambling. 
Come on, after the first of the year, you'll be able to bet on the Pro Bowl here in Ohio. That's right. That um, Daryl, let's uh, it just what does it mean to be a Pro Bowl? Like, does he think it still means the same to these guys? It, it, I mean, you're it doesn't wouldn't it just make more sense to call these guys all pro? I think that's the honor, isn't it? Well, that's the Associated Press's award is all pro. So um I am of the belief that the Pro Bowl should be you're a pro bowler and that's it. Like I, I but the NFL has money to make, so that's why they're they do this thing. They come they came up with all the the this uh, Pro Bowl games bit that they came up with. They realized the game is a sham, but they had money to make. That's why they played it, right? They didn't, you know. I give them credit for acknowledging that the product was crap, and so they needed to come up with something new or different. But to me, I just feel like Pro Bowl, similar to All Pro you know, paper recognition. But here's the thing. When you talk about like Hall of Fame consideration and stuff like that, Andy, Pro Bowls matter. Like Joel Batonio making five straight Pro Bowls. I think if he's able to make the next three Pro Bowls, he's a Hall of Fame. He'll be he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I agree um, with you. You know, Miles Garrett's up to four Pro Bowls now, right? He's on track to be a Hall of Famer. Um so I, the the recognition of Pro Bowl does that's why it matters. Not so much because of the events or the game or whatever, right? It's the recognition of being a Pro Bowler. That's why it still is relevant and it still matters. But uh, I, again, I just I feel like it should be similar to the Associated Press All Pro recognition where. It's something that goes on the resume, and that's really all it is. But that's not going to happen because the NFL has money that they uh, can make, and so they're going to make it. Uh, I fully anticipate for these events in Las Vegas, the Death Star is going to be packed. There's going to be 65,000 people in that stadium watching, and there's going to be a couple million people watching on television. I mean, look. I'm going to watch just out of curiosity. Like, I'm not going to watch, you know, I just, I want to see how this is all going to. It does seem weird to have 65,000 for a flag football game, though, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm just saying. It it seems weird, but you know people are going to show up for it, right? As long as everybody walks out of that thing healthy, that's fine. Speaking of health, Daryl, let's let's switch gears to the Browns here for a second. Um, Nick Chubb, uh, what's the status on his health going into this game this weekend? I say he plays. I'll be surprised if he didn't play. Because here's the code. If a player talks leading up to a game, there's a 90% chance that player is actually going to play in the game, regardless of their injury designation. We talked to Nick Chubb on Tuesday. And first of all, we didn't even know he was hurt when we spoke to him, number one, because he was put on the injury, you know, he was DNP injury report. After we had talked to him, we got a uh, the first practice of the week. The team sends what's called a pre-practice injury report so that we know uh, who they expect not to practice. So it was a little bit of a surprise when they said Nick Chubb, DNP, uh, expected DNP. But the, the irony of that is we had just gotten done talking to Nick about never missing practice and never taking days off in practice. And then all of a sudden oh, he's got a foot injury and is a DNP. And not only was he a DNP Tuesday, it was DNP Wednesday. We'll see. Uh, Obviously, this podcast will drop before Thursday's practice. But my anticipation is, Andy, that he will play. He might not have to have the same workload, 
but I think he's going to play on Saturday. All right, Daryl, that's all good news. We have a lot to talk about when it comes to the game, and we're going to come back and do that in a second here. It's always game day in Cleveland. If you like what you're listening to, all you need to do is subscribe to the podcast, and it will come to you so easily. It's always game day in Cleveland, brought to you locally by Smiley One, heating, cooling, and plumbing. Bryant and Smiley One, the right choice for your comfort. We get set for the Saturday game. We'll talk about the weather in a second, but it's also, I'm wondering, like, if the Cavaliers were doing this game on Saturday and not the Browns, we probably would have, I don't know, a 30, 35-minute tribute video to Jarvis Landry when he steps inside the stadium. Um, Jarvis Landry returns to Cleveland. Your thoughts, because I know the players talked about that this week, Daryl, and the respect for him and what he did for the organization while he was here uh, was brought out by the players earlier this week. Yeah, no no question about it. He is still beloved in the locker room, and deservedly so. Um, I would say of the most influential Cleveland Browns since 1999, Jarvis Landry's on the Mount Rushmore. Um, he was so instrumental in changing the attitude within that building. And, I, and it goes well beyond the It's Contagious speech, which obviously he is famous for. Uh, during the the hard knocks uh, season that that featured the Browns and and while that was a seminal moment or um, <clears throat> a, a defining moment, um, like he really did walk the walk on that because he played through so much stuff when he was here. Kevin Stefanski even mentioned how he marveled at, at how Jarvis was able uh, to play through injury and whatnot, but. The the respect for Jarvis is deserved, and, and my feeling is, even though he was only here for four years, Andy, he should be a Browns legend, 100%. Five years, because it's five years after retirement, you're eligible. Jarvis Landry unequivocally should be a Browns legend, shouldn't even be a discussion. He meant that much. He was a victim of a couple of things. One, his body started to break down a little bit. He's been dealing with some injuries. Uh, with the Saints this season still, unfortunately, last year limited to 12 games uh, because of injury. And then the business of football, right? I mean, he was making too much money. They couldn't really uh, come to an agreement on a restructure, so they went ahead and released him. But don't take uh, the release of a player as a sign of a lack of respect for a player. It's just, it's the cold, hard business of the National Football League and to hear guys talk about him, especially the young guys like the draft picks. You know, David Njoku was a 2017 draft pick who struggled early in his career with, at least in my view, what it meant to be a professional. And now you look at the player that David Njoku is and how and the professional that David Njoku is. And I think Jarvis Landry uh influenced that in, in a very positive way. Nick Chubb talked about it. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, um, so many guys uh, <clears throat> recognize and respect what Jarvis meant. I mean, look, when the Browns acquired him from the Dolphins in 2018, let's be honest about it, the Dolphins sent him to, to Cleveland as a big old FU, is a big old middle finger to him, okay? Yep. Because he wanted to get paid, he wanted a contract extension. They weren't, they couldn't come to terms, and they said, "Fine, you want to go get paid? We're going to send you to the worst bleeping organization in the NFL, the Cleveland Browns." Which Funny, I think the Patriots tried to do that too at one point. Jamie yeah. Collins, same story, yep. 
right? Yep. And then they went ahead and brought Jamie Collins back after for that. less money. Remember, he went yeah. and talked to Billy. He's like, yep. he wanted more money, and he was gone. But yep. uh, continue on with Jarvis Landry because I have a story too. Keep going. Yeah, and and so you know the Browns literally had not won a game, and I, a little bit of a broken record with Baker Mayfield. Same thing, right? They they haven't won a game. They went through four and forty four, which was uh, historically the worst three year stretch in NFL history for a team. And I I remember Jarvis's introductory press conference like it was yesterday. And he, you know, when fielding those questions, he just had a smile on his face. Now, granted, he got paid a lot of money, right, to, to be happy. But there was just something that I sensed about him. And I can't quantify it. I can't explain it. But I just sensed that this guy was going to, be a cornerstone. If the Browns were going to turn this thing around, this guy was a legit cornerstone to help do that. And he ultimately did do it. And he and I had a little bit of a rapport because like going through his first season in Cleveland, like, you know, our job is to, isn't so much, you know, the questions that get asked aren't nearly as important as the responses. So my job is to elicit responses on various topics. And so I would, you know, anytime the Browns had an opportunity to cross something off the bucket list, whether it was win a game, win a road game, win a game on Sunday, this, that, right? He he just, he would joke with me. You always have the little factoids for me, you know? And, um, and he, but he always had a smile on his face. Like he never took things personally. Uh, like us all has good days, has bad days, but he rarely let us see his bad days. He, he always tried to project the utmost positivity. And that is something that I will always admire and respect about him because let's be honest about it. When he got here, there was nothing to be positive about when you talked about the Cleveland Browns and you looked at the state of the Cleveland Browns. And he came in here with the attitude of, oh, you're sending me to football Siberia, huh? You're sending me to Cleveland, Ohio, where football careers tend to go to die. Well, guess what? I got something to show you. And you know what he did? He made the Pro Bowl his first two years here. Okay? Uh, that speed, like, he just, he he led on the field with his play, and he led off the field with his attitude. And, and I always say, I always get accused of being a curmudgeon or negative or whatever. Um, we've been friends a long time, so you you, you kind of see the real me. I can be a curmudgeon. I can be negative. I get it. But there's always a reason behind it. Like, it's not negative for the sake of being negative or curmudgeon for the sake of being curmudgeon. Like, there's there's a reason for it. And um, I just, I I really admired Jarvis's willingness to walk in here with a smile on his face, determined come hell or high water to turn this franchise around. And lo and behold, three year, his third year here, Cleveland Browns won 11 games and were a couple of plays away from the conference championship game. And he had a lot to do with that. So let me, let me continue on with the Jarvis love fest. I guess is what we're having here because all I know is that when Jarvis first got traded, and we talk about that night because I think that was a super important night for the team. John Gor John Dorsey had gone out and traded for Jarvis Landry, right? And Jarvis was at a thing called Jarvis Jam. And I kind of got the call quick right after he got traded from the, 
uh, Cleveland chapter of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation as soon as this happened because they were truly excited because at the moment that he started talking about getting traded to Cleveland, he was at Jarvis Jam in Miami to raise money for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, which had touched his life dramatically. And, I, you know, as a lot of people know, my, I lost my brother to cystic fibrosis. I can't believe it's been 17 years now, but he's been gone 17 years. And I remember listening, like I was intent because I wanted to hear everything he had to say, not only about football, but his life outside of football. And it, the quote was, and I found it from the Palm Beach Post, when he was first traded to the Browns. And as you said, right, it was, it, they were trying to punish him. And he said, I'm excited, man. I'm excited about the next chapter of my life. Most of all, I'm excited about the next chapter in my life and creating this moment and these memories. And this is a hell of a last memory right here. Tonight is a hell of a last memory. So that's it. And he was talking about the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation at that night. But then he went on to talk about, you know, that he didn't have any regrets in Miami. And the, the other thing was that he kept saying, why not? Why not in Cleveland? Why can we not? You know, it doesn't matter. I'm on an NFL team now, and I don't care where I'm playing. And when I get the opportunity to play, I'm going to play as hard as I can. And I don't care what Cleveland's record is before I got there. I am there to help change that culture. And, you know, he did. But, you know, in my world, he did it on and off the field. I absolutely loved watching him play. He was unbelievably clutch, especially when we just needed a couple yards to get a first down. Jarvis was the go-to guy, and I don't care who was throwing him the ball. Landry was a guy you want on your team because he was going to help you get the first down, and he was going to do whatever he, he could. That's on the field. Off the field, the moment I'll never forget is the time that, you know, he was on the uh, he was on the set of it was some kind of Super Bowl. Show. It was Jim Rome's show on Radio Row at the Super Bowl. Is exactly what it was, and Jarvis gave a young man who had cystic fibrosis, Nick Kelly tickets to the Super Bowl. And what was super interesting about it was, I'll be honest, I mean, I, I, I've had cystic fibrosis around me, people with cystic fibrosis around me for my entire life, okay, because of my brother. And when my brother passed away, my family, my sister-in-law, uh, my brother's wife, we committed ourselves to trying to find a cure for cystic fibrosis. And what I thought was unbelievably uh, unusual was, I, I'll be honest, I didn't know a lot of African-Americans that had cystic fibrosis. And then here is this guy who I got to meet named Nick Kelly. And he gave him um, he gave him these tickets to the Super Bowl. Now, I've done a bunch of events with Nick. His message is so powerful and so uplifting. And it's a reminder of how we've come so far with cystic fibrosis in the last, you know, 45 years. Like when my brother had CF, they thought kids were dying from pneumonia. And Nick is a guy that like... Nick was one of the first guys that got COVID and he was in the hospital for a cleanup for cystic fibrosis. And you know, normally that's like a two week thing. It's a big deal. And I said, Nick, how you doing? And we talked for a while and he was just like, you know what? I I've got COVID, but I'm going to beat this thing. And he was just so optimistic and he was just so powerful in his speech. And he, we talked about his relationship with Jarvis and I, I don't know, you know, most people don't know a lot of this stuff. They don't know that, you know, Jarvis, Jarvis, I'll just say a friend just to make sure that I'm not wrong, but had a friend that had cystic fibrosis and died from CF and that he had dedicated his, you know, his uh, philanthropic life to trying to help find a cure for CF. And then 
you know, we all meet certain people in our lives that steer us and guide us. And we, I, I, I like to think that every person has something that can add to somebody else's life. And Jarvis indirectly added to my life through Nick. And I can't, like, I can't say enough about that story and what Jarvis did off the field and he continues to do for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. And then on top of that, I just loved watching him play. I loved watching him play because you knew he was giving it his all. And it really bothered me that we didn't get to really talk to him. Daryl, how many times did you talk to him after the Odell incident? They barely talked anymore, right? Did he talk once? After that, I don't even remember him talking after Odell was like. I don't. I don't think he did. I don't think he did either. I, I could be wrong. And 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 that. No, was, I don't think you was, are, Daryl, because I wait. I loved listening to Jarvis. I loved what he had to say because you know what? For the first time ever, we had a pro in the organization in the building that came from another team and said, "You know what? Screw it. I don't care how crappy this team was before. We are going to change the culture." <clears throat> he does that not only in football, but he does it in life too. And I'm glad that he's got a place to play right now. I know he hasn't had a ton of receptions and hasn't had the greatest year in, in New Orleans. But I personally thank him for all he did. Yeah, and and part of the reason he didn't talk was uh, just professionalism. He he did not want to speak from, uh, <clears throat> you know, emotion or whatever. Uh, Odell's his best friend. Um, and looking back on that situation, the Browns sided with the wrong guy. They did. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It feels that now, way today, now, doesn't it? Now, today, obviously, Baker's not here anymore, so certainly. But you understand what I mean. Like, yeah, it's like we're trying to figure out what happened. I The, the hard part is I'm a Baker fan, too. But yeah. there was – I'm trying to remember the game. I think it was Cincinnati. That oh, I think it was Cincinnati. Odell was just wide open all the time. And they were like, screw it. We're not – I mean, it was Pittsburgh. They were like, I'm, we're not yeah, even going to put someone on him because the Browns aren't going to throw to him. Do you and remember then, the game? Yeah, and then late in the game, Baker hung Odell out to dry over the middle. Remember that? Yes, well, I do. That was against Pittsburgh. And then that, that was the beginning of the end because then that's when the, the video the from fall. Dad came out. Yeah. Yeah, and then that, that was the beginning of the end was that Pittsburgh game. Yeah. Daryl, there were, there were plays in that game where Odell was five feet down the road yeah. on the other side of the, of, the, of the yardstick wide open. Yep. And there was no way – Baker could have missed him. Yeah. And you know, it was so tough. So like that was one of the, that was one of those situations where to this day, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people that when I'm wrong, I have no problem saying that I'm wrong. Cause sure. I, I, just, I feel I have a responsibility to fans to when I'm wrong to, to, to be wrong, you know, say that I was wrong. That was a situation that I misread and that I was, uh, <clears throat> I was wrong about, but part of that was we didn't have access that year either. Like, right. You know, so you couldn't gauge the locker room. You couldn't walk up the guys and, you know, whisper back and forth and, you know, get the real deal of what's going on and, and things like that. And I'm not making excuses, but um, I, I just, it's unfortunate that, you know, could you imagine if the Browns had Odell and Jar Jarvis with Deshaun Watson? Oh, you on know fire, especially the way before Odell got hurt too. Yeah, That's but, the, you know what I'm saying. Like, yes, if you think about it's that. what we dreamed of. Now, it's granted, Amari Cooper might not be here right now if if that were the case. But and and Cooper's been great. I, Who I knows? Maybe Cooper would have been here. Hang on, Daryl. Let's talk about this too. We get, we're running out of time in the segment. Let's come right back. We'll keep calling. We'll we'll be right back. It's always game day in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder, and I'm Andy Baskin. All right, so let's pick up where we left off. You know, we were talking about imagining. Uh, you know. Jarvis Landry, 
Odell and Deshaun Watson. And then I got to get to the weather here in a second. So keep going. Yeah, I just I, I just think it's it's interesting how things tend to to work out. Uh, you know, I don't know that Amari Cooper would be a Cleveland Brown, obviously. And Cooper's had a great year. Um, he's uh, <clears throat> what could you imagine if we had Landry Cooper and Odell? Oh. Well, now it's like Odell can't do anything, right? I, right. I, I think he kind of overplayed his hand a little bit as far as um, being healthy. Yeah, it, being healthy and doing his little tour. Because like, if you're not willing to work out for teams, I think that's a little bit of a red flag. Good point. You know what I'm saying? Yep. 100%. Or let me rephrase: If you're unable, I, I don't yep. want to say he's unwilling because I don't know that for a fact. But if you no, just if can't, you it sounds like a health issue. That's right. right. Yeah. It, just, if you don't work out for teams, which he did not. You know that that's a little bit of red flag. So I think he's going to wait till the, the the spring to sign somewhere. But um, it is you know it it is fun to uh, like imagine like what that could have um, looked like. But yeah, I, I think if Odell was still here and Jarvis was still here, obviously, um, I don't think Amari would be here. And here's the other thing too: like, unfortunately, the moves were validated by injury, right? The decision right. for the Browns to move on for, you know, to, to, to get Odell out of here. He went to Los Angeles, won a Super Bowl. Unfortunately, he got hurt in the Super Bowl. Same, you know, repeat injury. Um, and then uh, Jarvis, you know, part of the decision-making process besides the, the dollars and cents of football his injury history. And then of course, this year in new Orleans, he's been banged up a little bit too. So, you know, from that standpoint, the decision-making process gets, gets validated there a little bit. So, uh, and the decision to trade for Amari Cooper is validated. And the fact that what Amari Cooper has brought uh, to this team, he's uh, gonna, he, <clears throat> he's uh, on the cusp of a yet another thousand yard receiving season. It'll be a sixth and eight years. Once he uh, hits that threshold, uh, named a Pro Bowl alternate, um, you know, uh, it, it, I, I, I just, I don't think that there's any way to feel that that trade uh, with the Dallas Cowboys was anything less than highway robbery committed by Andrew Barry. Man, it feels great, doesn't it? Yeah, does. Yeah, I mean, for, I mean, it's for, nice to be on the other side of one. For of these once, trades, the Browns right? did the fleecing, right? Right. So, and and they, well, let me rephrase. For once, the Browns did the fleecing and received tangible results in return because they totally ripped the Indianapolis Colts off for Trent Richardson with a first round pick. But yeah, that might have they, been a bigger, bigger. They one, kind actually. of yeah, but they Although kind what of we do with the first round down, pick. Yeah, they, they flushed it down the toilet. After yeah. That. So, so yeah. All right. Let, let's talk about the other big thing because I mean, if you if we had Mark Johnson. Sorry, say that again. The elephant in the room or the bomb cyclone in the room? <laughs> well, I just think, you know, it's okay. Uh, here's my concern for this weather thing that's coming in here. Like, if it's so bad and everyone kept saying blizzard, 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 blizzard. Mark Johnson said blizzard-like conditions. Yeah. Because he was hesitant on saying how much snow there would actually be because he they we are expecting huge winds, like 60, 70-mile-an-hour winds. He said that he saw a model with 70 miles an hour on it. Okay. All right, I respect that, and I respect Mark for not – blowing out out of proportion i mean here do you want me to read the headlines going into this i mean i what did you it's just it's such overkill hang on uh let's yeah, just but go uh, you know what andy we live in you don't need to read them because i'm sure that they're there but you know we do live in an over uh sen centralized 
media environment, right? It's garbage. And, and you know it as well as I do because the, I do, the, yeah, I the local it. news stations who no one's really watching right now, look, their ratings are totally in the toilet. That, you know, they're trying to do anything you can to try to watch them because they right. do know the one thing that people watch for is weather. Yep. And it will always be that way for the simple fact that when you're watching weather on, on local news, it's, it is very local, hyper-local, right. and you want to know what to wear the next day. I mean, that is the bottom line. And then you Here, go online and you're like, a winter storm is likely Christmas weekend. Now is the time to prepare. What exactly makes a blizzard a blizzard? I'm just reading this. Snowstorm headed to Northeast Ohio. Here's how ODOT and firefighters plan uh, to prepare. And then blizzard conditions forecast end of the week with snow. Yes, I understand that it's serious. And yes, we have way more information that we ever had than when we were kids. But come on, man. It's winter in Northeast Ohio. Should we be shocked? Yeah, like I said, it just it goes to the oversensualization of, of media today. And everyone's competing for eyeballs. And unfortunately, fear-mongering is, is what gets the eyeballs. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, right. Uh, so... Look, it's it's going to be bad. This is going to be the worst weather for a Browns game since all the way back in 2009. Browns Steelers Thursday night football. Browns win 13-6. Ben Roethlisberger tries to throw it like 50 times. He gets sacked eight times, right? Um, like in that game, <clears throat> I I kind of had to go like, uh, yeah, that was the Josh Cribbs Wildcat formation game. Um, Chris Jennings, the legend, Chris Jennings had 73 yards and a touchdown for the Browns who ran it that night 37 times for a buck 71 whereas the Steelers only ran it 22 times and um their two lead backs at the time Mendenhall and Parker combined for 19 carries and they probably should have gotten 50 carries combined that night right should have yeah so, right <clears throat> yeah, so I just think it's going to be one of those games where it's a it's going to be a Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, uh, end around jet sweeps type of game. You're not going to throw the ball in this in this, or if you are going to throw the ball, it's going to be quick slants or quick outs or you, you know what I mean. Uh, underhanded passes, shovel passes, whatever. It's it's it. it, it <clears throat> The, we're not going to see Deshaun Watson light it up and that, you know, that's what it should be. But yeah, I mean, there, you know, unfortunately Phil Dawson's not available for any boomerang field goals. Poor Cade York is going to probably going to get crucified because you know, he's going to miss a field goal or two. Um, oh <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it is going to be a, a tough place to play. And everyone sitting in the front row of the press box is going to have to bring blankets with them. <laughs> <laughs> so, Daryl, let's talk about this home field advantage because I don't know that. I mean, I, we could see tickets as low as a dollar. You might see tickets hanging on telephone poles. Saturday. You probably will. I mean, assuming I can't imagine what this. I, that's assuming I, I, they don't I, get blown off the poles. Don't you feel like this is going to be like the Houston game? Yeah, this is going to be worse than I think. This is literally going to be a friends and family type of game. Like I it could would be. Not, I mean, this could feel like a. I would not. Game. I would just for like personal safety. I would not be shocked if the place was half full. But Browns fans are a hearty bunch, man. Like that's true. I was driving, you know, uh, in <clears throat> for the Ravens game, and the muni lot's half empty. And I'm thinking, yeah, no one's showing up for this game. And then all of a sudden, kickoff comes, and the place is almost full. It was great. That was a great crowd for the Ravens game. I will be honest, because I was scared. 
I was scared it was going to be very purple in the bowl, yeah. and it wasn't. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe not not uh, great tailgate fair, but, uh, you know, maybe the Browns will make it. Hey, Saints are a dome team. By the way, Saints flying up Thursday. So shortly after you download this podcast and listen to it, the Saints will be aboard a plane and on their way to Cleveland, Ohio. They're leaving a day early to get here ahead of uh, the storm. The storm. The storm. But you're seeing, I think the Bills, don't the Bills play the Bears or something? I saw something where the Bills are flying out early. Same thing. Like the entire Midwest, it's it's going right. to be it's gonna be a nightmare uh, as far as the weather goes. Um, you know, take your time. Be careful. Don't drive like an idiot on the roads. You know, it, like this isn't difficult. We, no, we do but I don't think we're the, I think the big fear is the ice that will. I think it's the wind. It. Yeah, the ice in the Friday wind. morning ice is the is the fear. Yeah. Um, and, and the wind is always dangerous. Uh, I told the story how that, so that Pittsburgh game, that Thursday night Pittsburgh game, my eye yeah. actually froze. Oh, that's right. Oh, you told that story. Yeah. No, walking out, uh, from the stadium at like three in the morning, my freaking eye froze. It was because that wind was coming off the lake and there's nothing to stop the wind. You know, there's no, nothing there to, to, you know, <laughs> to, to break it up. So I might go buy some ski goggles. That's right. Just so, put the mask over your face. You'll be good to go. All right. So let me I leave you with to see. It's not a, it's not a, uh, ah, who cares? Seeing overrated, especially when you're driving. I mean, really, come on. You're better than that. All right. So let me leave you with two thoughts. One, according to my good friends at uh, 538.com, no matter what happens in the Thursday night game, the Browns will be no better than a 1% chance of making the playoffs and no worse than a 0.7% chance of making the playoffs. That'll be after the Thursday night game. And Daryl, I just want to bring up one other topic because I know sometimes we we dip into other sports. Cavs beat the Bucks the other night, last night. They are sixteen and two at home. I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah, they got to figure out how to win on the road. Right. Once they do that, they're a fun bunch to watch, man. They are. It's it's been very they, enjoyable they to watch. Really, them. really are, and it's a. Uh, <clears throat> I love their front office. JB Bickerstaff is just such a great guy. He has, we've talked about it, you know, on this podcast about coaching and stuff like that. Him and Tito Francona have it. You know, they have the, they have the intangibles of being able to really get the best out of the guys that they, they work with. And that's like one of my questions that I've always had about, you know, Kevin Stefanski, can he get the best out of his players? And I think this year we could unequivocally say, no, he has not gotten the best out of the talent that he has. And that's why you are sitting here reading stuff from 538 about 1% playoff chances and stuff like that. Like we're clean, you're left clinging to that minuscule breadcrumb of hope. Um, and, and so I, I think that in the off season, that's something that Kevin Stefanski really needs to, to figure out is how he can extract the best out of his players on a consistent basis. Just so you know, according to 538, the Cavs have a 96% chance of making the playoffs as of today. That's for you, Daryl. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. For our producer, Meredith Kane. thank you very much. We appreciate all you do. And that'll do it for another edition of It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. We will talk to you Saturday night. It's Saturday night, live from someone's basement. Daryl and Andy. Wait, eh, maybe not. It's Christmas Eve. Let's think about this. Maybe Santa will bring us a present. 
You need to see if we have a podcast or not on Christmas Eve. We'll see. If you don't, then we'll be talking to you shortly. Ho, ho, ho. Have a happy holiday, everybody. Everybody here at It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. God bless.